So back in 2016, Wanda Dench sent a text message to her grandson inviting him to Thanksgiving dinner, making sure she knew he could bring his girlfriend. But unbeknownst to Wanda, her grandson had changed his cell phone number. So the message, the text didn't go to him. It went to a complete stranger. It went to Jamal Hinton. And Jamal Hinton texted back, who are you? And Wanda said, I'm your grandma. And he texted, you're not my grandma. And so Wanda took a selfie and she texted it to him to confirm that she was, in fact, his grandma. And Jamal took a selfie of himself and texted it to her to confirm that she was not his grandma. So after they got that all straightened out, Jamal kind of jokingly texted back, can I still come to Thanksgiving dinner? And Wanda said, absolutely. So Jamal joined their family for Thanksgiving that year. That was 2016. And they've been celebrating Thanksgiving together every year since then. And this past Thursday was eight years when they have had Thanksgiving to get. Isn't that a heartwarming story? And it's also a story of joyful generosity. So last week we started talking about joyful generosity and we asked the question, am I joyful? Am I joyful in my giving? Am I joyful in my generosity? So last week, joyful generosity, we asked, am I joyful? So this week, joyful generosity, we're going to ask the question what? Am I generous? Am I generous? And to answer that question, it might help us to have a definition of generosity. What does that word mean? I did a word study. There's a lot of words in the New Testament that are translated generous, different words. They all pretty much mean the same thing. They mean generous. I don't think we really need a word study to understand what generous means. It means to be bountiful and to give a lot. But I did read one definition that I I liked in particular. Somebody wrote an article, and they said, generosity is a virtue of freely giving good things. Okay, the virtue of freely giving good things. So our minds might go to money right away, and that's appropriate, but all kinds of good things. A person can be generous with their time. You may have had that experience, somebody being very generous with you with their time or with their patience or generous with their forgiveness. So it's giving good things and doing so freely. The Bible says, do not give under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. It's, you ever been at a restaurant and they bring the little portable cash machine there and it's time to pay? And then they've got the, the tip recommendations, uh, 10, 12, 15, 20% time to do the tip. And here's the waiter, the waitress kind of standing there waiting, looking. You feel the pressure right there. So no pressure. God loves a cheerful giver. And by the way, some, somebody said in the first service, Steve, that sermon on giving, I felt like you were looking at me the whole time. Hey, I just make eye contact. Personally, I don't know what anybody in the church gives, and that's on purpose. But we want to ask this question, am I generous? And I'm going to use three questions in the message today to help us with that. The first question is this, what are three types of givers? Three types of givers that uh, are described in the Bible. Now, one type is in a category all by themselves. This is the person who's kind of selfish, self-centered, really hardly ever gives anything to anyone, a Scrooge type of character. I don't think anybody here fits in that category. They're in a category all themselves. But when we talk about actual givers, you've got givers, those who just are in general, they give. They understand that that's what God wants them to do. But we might call them safe and secure givers. They're always going to check the account first, make sure they're not overextending themselves, and maybe that's wise. I'm thinking of Jacob in the Old Testament. Jacob had 
was traveling and he had this vision where he saw the angels of God ascending and descending a stairway. That's where that song comes from, climbing the stairway to heaven. And after he'd had this, that vision, this is what he prayed. If this is Genesis 28, 20. If God will be with me and if God will protect me on this trip, and if he gives me food to eat and clothes to wear, and if I return in peace, and if God does all these things, then I will give God one-tenth of all he gives to me. So a kind of a conditional type of giver is not bad. It's good, but very safe and secure. A second type of giver is the generous giver, someone who's going to go above and beyond, maybe stretch themselves a little bit. If there's an appeal that comes, maybe from a missionary, for instance, or somebody in the community who's have, had a very difficult situation, the fire burned down their house and they need something extra. Maybe that we see the meal train opportunity that Scott puts out to the congregation every once in a while. Here's an opportunity to bring meals. They're going to jump on that and use that as an opportunity to give. The generous giver. And in the Bible, I think of the Macedonians. When Paul was collecting funds for the impoverished Christians in Jerusalem, and he goes to Corinth, and he goes to the churches in Macedonia, and he describes the response to this opportunity was an over and above opportunity of the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians 8. And now, brothers, we want to tell you what God's grace has done in the churches in Macedonia. These believers have been tested by great troubles, and they are very poor but their great joy caused them to be very generous in their giving. I can tell you that they gave as much as they were able and even more than they could afford. No one told them to do this. It was their idea. They gave themselves to the Lord and to us before they gave their money. This is what God wants. Another thing that verse shows us, it's not always the rich people who are the most generous. And a lot of wealthy people and well-to-do who are generous but somebody of modest means can still fit this definition of generosity. Gary Hearthrock worked as an agriculturalist. Upon retirement at age 65, he and his wife Evelyn began to look for opportunities to help in other places around the world. They went to Southeast Asia and quickly trained themselves how to teach English as a second language. They were soon invited into Buddhist monasteries, government hospitals, and other places to teach English. In the process, they had many opportunities to share the gospel with these folks as well. And when asked how they financed their work, Gary said, by social security. And they asked, how long do you intend to continue this? They said, as long as we have health and energy. In 2017, Gary died while teaching English as a missionary in Chiang Mai, Thailand at the age of 97, having been preceded by his wife in death. Over 30 years as a missionary using that little skill teaching English as a second language after retirement at the age of 65. Generous givers. And then a third category, we might call these radical givers. Folks, if you look at them and, you, and you, if you hear about what they do, you say, well, that's all you might almost think that's crazy. And I think of Zacchaeus in the New Testament, and he was an IRS agent, a tax collector, and he had lunch with Jesus, and we don't know what was said. But something happened in that lunch with Jesus that changed his life. And here's what he said. He came out saying, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Radical. I mean, we would probably be impressed if he said, I'm going to make a donation to the poor. And I'm going to stop stealing from people. 
But he said, I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor, and I'm going to return anything I've taken four times, four X, over that radical giver. So those are just different types of givers. The ungiver, the non-giver, the anti-giver, and then the giver who gives in general, the generous giver, the radical giver. The second question today, where, where do we fit? If we had to place ourselves on that spectrum, where might we fit? I mean, I'll ask myself that question, you ask yourself that question. And how do we even know? If we're in the, how do we even know if we're in the ballpark of what God would consider generosity? Is that word generous totally subjective, or is there, is there some context to it? Now, I don't follow golf. If, if you had to ask me, what's the proper amount for a professional golfer the amount of money to give to the people in the locker room who take care of his equipment and his stuff, I wouldn't necessarily have a clue. And I think that's true of a lot of people because we just don't know. We're not in that world. That's not our context. Now, maybe one or two here might be in that world, in that sphere, and might have an idea, but a lot of folks wouldn't. I wouldn't. I don't play golf, and I don't follow professional golf, but I do read. And I read a book called The Pro, this book called The Pro by Butch Harmon. Butch Harmon's a golf pro and a golf coach. And one of the things he's known for is for coaching a very famous golfer early in his career. Anybody know who that golfer was? Tiger Woods. So Butch Harmon was Tiger Woods' golf coach when Tiger turned pro. And after Tiger won his very first tournament, Las Vegas, 20 years old, after the tournament was over, Butch Harmon gets in the limo with Tiger. And he says, you owe me $500. Butch said, you owe me to Tiger. You owe me $500. And Tiger Woods said, well, why do I owe you $500? He says, because I was just in the locker room tipping the people who've been taking care of you all week long and taking care of your stuff. I tipped them $500 because that's all the cash that I had on me. And if I had more, I would have given them more. And so he said Tiger just didn't know, and I'm sure he went on to be very generous with the, those staff afterwards. But he said, you know, you just won $300,000 in this tournament. You need to show up on Monday handing out $100 bills. And you should do that throughout any tournament from now on, win or lose. I had no idea. I had no idea that's what's appropriate to give out in the locker room. And now I do. Now you do. That might help you out the next time you're playing in a pro tournament. But likewise, you know, some people, they, they, there's a homeless guy in the corner, and they roll down their window, and they give him a dollar, and they, th they you know, they think they, they need to get a trophy for that. How do we know if we're even in the ballpark of what God would consider generous? Is there some context to that word? I believe there is. The context of the New Testament is the Old Testament. And throughout the Old Testament, the people of God, the Israelites, the Jews, by law, were required to give how much? 10%. It's called the tithe. To give 10%. It was an agrarian society. 10% of their barley harvest or the wheat harvest or the 10% the of the flock of sheep or the goats or the cows. That's what they would give to God by law. Now, we are not Old Testament Jews. We are not Israelites in here today. We are not under that law where we have to give 10%. We're New Testament Christians. We're never commanded in the New Testament to give 10%. Right, so we'll just say that right up front. 
And here's the thing about law versus grace. Law has the motivation, I have to. Grace has the motivation, I get to. And so all I'm saying is, in this context, the context of what God has traditionally considered a floor for generosity, not a ceiling, but a floor for generosity, 10% has always been that. Jesus was a tither. All of the disciples were a tither. That gives us a context of what that word might mean. And if we're way far away from that, maybe something to work towards. Certainly not something to put a limit, though, on what we give. All right, so I'm just... We're looking at three questions today about the generosity, three types of givers, where do I fit in that spectrum, and the third one is, how can I grow? How can I grow in my generosity? I read one author who said, generosity is kind of like other disciplines, prayer, silence and solitude, service, meditation. It's like a dimmer switch, not an on and off switch. It's a switch that we can grow incrementally in. And I want to suggest three areas where we might be able to grow in our generosity. And the first one is perseverance. And perseverance, we persevere in giving in the sense that we don't make any excuses. Now, I have started following this season the NFL team, the Jacksonville Jaguars. I am not historically an NFL fan. If there's a definition of a fair weather fan, that's me. They're having a great season, and so I decided to start following them. I'm from Jacksonville. My mom still lives in Jacksonville. She's a big fan. She's followed them through thick and thin. My son loves them, so it gives us a common frame of reference. I don't even watch the games. I watch the YouTube highlights of the games, so then I can just talk about that. But I, I know they're having a great season. They're leading in their division, and they love their quarterback. Their quarterback is named Trevor Lawrence. They love their quarterback. He's a good-looking guy. He looks like he should be on the cover of a Harlequin romance novel. And he's very talented, and they've got a great team. They're leading their division. But two weeks ago, they had a terrible loss to the 49ers. It was like 34 to 3. It was a 31-point loss. It was a dreadful game. My mom said, don't even watch the highlights on YouTube. And I, but I did watch the press conference afterwards, and, and Trevor Lawrence was being interviewed. And let me, let me read you a little bit of what he said. He said, you know, it's embarrassing. We couldn't do anything right. It's probably one of the worst games I've played in my career, and I take responsibility for that. I had a fumble midfield. You know, that cannot happen. I have to look in the mirror and fix that. And these fumbles have happened a few times this year. I have to take care of the ball. I have to play better. Don't you love that? Don't you love that humility and that honesty? And he's also a Christian. Go Jags. They said, I've got to look in the mirror and fix me. Well, we look in the mirror too, we Christians, and the mirror is God's word. And just like Trevor, no excuses. It's easy to make excuses in this area. You know, I haven't had a raise in two years. I'm driving a car that's about to fall apart. I'm on a fixed income. We think there's no way to be generous, but there's always a way. Darren Key works for Christian Financial Resources. And Christian Financial Resources, they go around to churches and they help them with capital fund campaigns. Now, that's a campaign where the church is trying to raise funds over and above what they normally give, the regular giving, 
to build a building or to pay off debt. And he writes, he's written a book, and he wrote a book about one of the very first campaigns that he had ever conducted. And there was a single mother with three children in the church. And she had looked at their budget and said, you know, there's, there's no way. I already give weekly. There's no way I can give over and above what we are already giving. I'm just going to pray for this campaign. I said, that's fine. But a couple of weeks later, her kids, they came home from Sunday school, and they'd had a lesson there about sacrificial giving. They, they said to their mom, Mom, we've got to give something. We've got to sacrifice and give. And so they talked together as a family, and they reflected on it, and they thought about it. And finally, they decided there was one thing they could cut out. They could cut out cable TV, the monthly cable bill. And Darren writes this. They ended up giving the campaign $1,530 over the next three years. It was one of the smallest gifts, but it impacted the entire church. I know that in every congregation, he writes, there are people who have convinced themselves that they just can't be generous. They look at that bank account balance and say, nope, no way, but there's a way. How can we grow in our generosity? All right, persevere. Number two, have a plan. A spending plan is called a budget. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5, Paul writes to the Corinthians, so I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the generous gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. So what had happened, the Corinth wanted to give to the cause. They needed some time to save it up. They'd made a promise or a pledge. He says, I, I want to make sure you're following through on your promise. They had a plan. So having a spending plan or a budget. One thing a budget helps us to do is to put God first, not last. You know, sometimes we say, well, I'm going to give God what's left over at the end of the month after I've made sure I've paid my bills and, and, and we haven't had any emergencies and we've gone to the restaurant and we've got the cable covered and all that. But then what happens is, some folks wind up not with money left over at the end of the month, but month left over at the end of the money. But when we have a budget, here's another thing that we learned from the Old Testament is to put God first. It was the first of the barley harvest that went to God, first of the wheat harvest, first of the flocks that went to God. So we put God first, and everything else in the budget is made to fit around that. Financial Peace University by Dave Ramsey is a course. It's an, it's an online. It's available online as a Zoom course, about an eight-week-long course. And Dave Ramsey teaches in Financial Peace University how to budget, teaches how to get out of debt and to think about debt, talks about how to save, how to think about mortgages, how to think about God. A lot of different things he covers in Financial Peace University. My wife and I are in that course right now. We're taking that online course at our age, and we've learned a lot and have been reminded of many things. I highly recommend this course. I know debt is the American way. A lot of us struggle with debt. That's one of the reasons we can't always give as generously as we want to. I want to recommend Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. Now, you can look that up online. Scott has connected it to our resources page at our church website. Tammy and I paid $106 for this online course, but Scott was telling me today that there's a special on now. It's $59.99, you know, through December 4th or something like that. And Vera Christian Church will subsidize anybody in this congregation who wants to take Financial Peace University will pay 50% of that. So I just wanted to put a commercial in there and a plug in there. That is a great course on finances. Number three, how we can grow in generosity is personalize it. 
is to personalize it. One of the things about Zacchaeus is he had that Zacchaeus moment with Jesus. Have we had that moment with the Lord, an encounter with the Lord that has altered the trajectory of our lives and how we think about everything, including generosity? Isn't it true it's possible to go to church and sing these songs and bow our heads during the prayer and listen to the sermon and go home never having encountered God and nothing changed or transformed about our lives. That's what I mean by personalize it. I want to put a picture up there on the screen for you of a game show host, maybe of a past generation, but does anybody know what his name is? Yeah, that's Monty Hall. What was the game show that he hosted? Let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. Where he gave out money, he gave out prizes, and he, he would wheel and deal. Monty Hall was one of the most generous celebrities in Hollywood. He, he did charitable events constantly, loved to give. He was a bit of a child genius. He graduated from high school when he was 14 years old. He was brilliant, but his family could not afford to send him to college. So he got a job. He was working one day scrubbing floors at his hardware store. When Max Freed happened to walk by, Max Freed had the Hercules Garment Company. He was a successful businessman. He looks over and he sees this kid scrubbing floors, and he walks across the street and said, what are you doing? Why aren't you in school? He said, well, I've graduated high school. I'd love to go to college, but my family can't afford it. And Max Freed said, come see me tomorrow morning in my office. So he went over to his office. And Max Fried said, here's what I want to do for you. I want to pay your way to college. I'm going to pay your tuition. I'll pay your room and board. All of your expenses, free ride. I want to pay your way to college on three conditions. He said, number one, you can never tell anybody who your benefactor was. He says, number two, you have to be an A student. I want to see your report card every quarter. And you've got to keep your grades up. And he said, number three, once you are successful, you must do this for somebody else. That changed the trajectory of the life of Monty Hall. And forever after, he was generous and giving and kind. That's what I mean by personalizing. Have we had an encounter with Jesus that changes the trajectory of our lives? Let me put a word up there on the screen. I'm just going to spell it out. I'm not going to save it. How do you pronounce that word? Yes. I think just about everybody got it right. It's superfluous. However, when I was a 22-year-old kid, right out of Bible college, I was preaching at Pine Hills Christian Church, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, in the New American Standard Version of the Bible, Paul said, it is, he writes, it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. I preached a sermon called the Superfluous Sermon, but I mispronounced it all the way through. I had never heard it pronounced. I'd only read it. I said superfluous, the superfluous sermon. I must have used that word superfluous eight times in that sermon. And, uh, you know, and there are wordsmiths out there, when they hear something like that, they're going to grab you afterwards and correct me, and they did, and I was thankful for that. But the, the point there, the word superfluous in the New American Standard, Paul says it's superfluous for me to write to you Christians about this ministry, and he's talking about the ministry of generosity and giving. And the word superfluous means unnecessary. It's unnecessary. Paul says, I don't need to write anything to you about giving. Why? Because giving and generosity is at the very heart of Christianity. It's at the heart of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. 
God our Father gave generously when He gave His Son. God the Son gave generously when He gave Himself to us. Paul, although he says, I don't need to write to you anything, went on to write two chapters about it. And in the last verse of that chapter, he says, thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. 